I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two simple questions. What's the story and what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today. Happy Easter, Seth. Thank you. He is risen. He is risen indeed. (laughs) Indubitably, <laughs> finally a day that gives us a greeting that we can use, yeah. so the beginnings of our episodes aren't so awkward. Happy Easter. This is our second Easter in pandemic, which feels kind of strange, but honestly, this Easter has me feeling a little more hopeful than last Easter did. <laughs> yes, that's true. I'm also pretty excited because I have a very important question for you. Ready to bring it back after a couple episodes of some new formats missing this specific question. Hit me with it. What would you do in this particular situation? Would you want to only be able to season your food with salt or with pepper? Okay, this one's actually relatively easy for me. I'm going with salt. I just kind of like salty food. Like if I like if I get fries somewhere, I usually have to add like a pinch of salt to them. Mm-hmm. And that's how I love my potato chips. Like the saltier the better. You know, push, sure. pushing that cholesterol up. Exactly. Yeah, I think salt's more versatile. I also think salt enhances sweet foods too. Like if you're baking a batch of cookies or something, you put that little bit of salt in to really balance them out. So it's not just a sugar bomb so salt yeah this might have been a little too easy feels practical though it would be sad though to only have salt and not be able to season any other food with anything else yes. have you ever put salt on watermelon i have not my favorite i don't know i mean i may have like once people like tell oh, me you ask that you ask that like something that you regularly no, do but, but i feel like this is just a trend you want to explore <laughs> I feel like people like act like that's like a groundbreaking discovery, but I felt like when I had it, I was just like, okay, it's like it enhances the flavor mildly. Yeah, now this solidified sugar water is a little salty. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for watermelon season though. I love watermelon. Do you like artificially flavored watermelon things, like Jolly Ranchers? I do. Yeah. No incorrect i like the taste of real watermelon no i will okay fair artificial watermelon feels like the most artificial flavor of most fruit candy flavors that's my argument i think though yeah that's i probably agree with that just because you don't get all of the water with it other than maybe like lemon because you can actually like tolerate the lemon flavor where you couldn't eat a lemon. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. That's that's another one. I just think with all watermelon 
artificial watermelon flavors you just never get the texture of the watermelon like that's what is automatically so off about it like that's true watermelon has such a definite texture but the jolly rancher doesn't i mean yeah this is a great easter conversation so far if i do say so myself (laughs) waiting for these watermelons to resurrect this spring summer exactly when do they when is watermelon season it's coming I just associate it with summer. Okay. You know, you put a. Do you. Are you a sliced. Like slices of watermelon holding the rind? Or are you cubed watermelon kind of person? And sliced holding the rind. Have you ever tried to eat the rind? I don't think so. I mean, wash it first. But honestly, it just tastes like lettuce. Okay. <laughs> it just tastes like crunchy water. So. Oh. Anyways, I think we can move on and move on from the resurrection of watermelon season to Jesus' resurrection. So will you go ahead and read our scripture for today? I would love to. We have to, we have to bring this back somehow. Somehow. This is Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8 from the Common English Bible. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' dead body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb. They were saying to each other, Who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and it was a very large stone. Going into the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the right side. They were startled. But he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. Go tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. Here ends the reading and Mark. Yeah, we'll get to that. (laughs) So why did you choose the CEB for us this week? Yeah, I mean, we use the CEB often. Uh, I liked what you said on our episode. I guess it was just last week uh, where the CEB has a good sense of what it's like to be read out loud. And so I just wanted to focus on the narrative of this particular resurrection story. Really wanted to do something that was comfortable for us, honestly. And still, CEB is a great go-to translation. But as you read through this passage, what stood out to you? Well, they see this young man, and they're startled. Which would definitely be startling if you, A, don't expect the tomb to be open at all. And then expect Jesus in there. And there's just some young guy chilling. And then he's like, don't be alarmed. That'd be terrifying. I'm always interested because that's how like messengers of the divine always start. Don't be afraid. But like, is that an effective strategy to, to make people not afraid? Right. Well, I think we often assume that these messengers are just like pleasant looking or attractive human beings that are, might just be glowing a little bit. You know, like think like Michael B. Jordan or something, 
sitting there in a white robe, just like an attractive dude, just chilling out. That's probably not what was going on. Like their presence, both by circumstance and maybe by their sheer appearance, is clearly in some way alarming. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why, whether it's with Mary, when she is told that she's going to give birth to Jesus, you see it so many times in the Hebrew Bible. Clearly these messengers are horrifying in <laughs> <Yeah>. some way. <laughs> and I wonder if that short phrase is enough to like calm people down. <laughs> I'd be freaking out. I mean, I don't know if that really calms Mary, Mary, and Salome down. Because then they leave and they're overcome with terror and dread. And they don't say anything because they're afraid. Which is just the end. Which is wild. Exactly. Yeah. So, for our listeners who might not be familiar, where we ended according to most Bible scholars, is understood to be the traditional or original ending of the book of Mark. And again, the last verse is, Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. (laughs) Which, in a story proclaiming God's good news, doesn't really end on the type of note that you might want to start off a movement <laughs> built around this guy's resurrection. So there are, in most Bibles delineate that there's a additional, like shorter ending that might just be an additional verse or so. There's an additional longer ending, you know, that encounters some of the same messages and themes that we see in the other gospels. These are believed to be added later, that this ending was true to the original book of Mark. And honestly, This is one of my favorite resurrection accounts (laughs) because it feels like it's one of the most honest. Yeah. In all the other ones, it feels like, oh, like, well, Thomas had some questions and the disciples were a little worried, but basically they had it all together and Jesus told them what to do and it was great. This feels like the most realistic reaction to someone following around a teacher who was killed, whose then body was just, it just disappeared. And not understanding what's going on. When we think about the resurrection story, there are certainly things that happen here that are common that we think about when we think about what happens on Easter. You know, Jesus' body is gone. The stone is rolled away. And I love how the CEB puts that parenthetical. Like, it it was a real big stone. (laughs) (laughs) To reiterate that that would be surprising, too. And there's a messenger there that's directing them elsewhere to go and instruct the disciples what to do next. And you see, again, these three women, who in the other Gospels are the first preachers of Jesus' resurrection, the first messengers, the first human messengers at least, these women who visited the grave site first, they have that opportunity to share, but here they don't. Here, as you said, Seth, they were startled, they were alarmed, they were overcome with terror and dread, and they were afraid. There wasn't any sense of excitement, there wasn't any clear sense of purpose. The disciples are nowhere to be found because the person that they've been most closely associated with for three years hmm. has just been executed hmm. by the empire, and who knows who might be looking for them. And Jesus doesn't show up. They've got to go on the word of this strange messenger chilling out in a white robe by the empty tomb, and that's all they have. In this original ending, Jesus doesn't show up at all. And there's something so, like I said, 
something so honest about this story. Like, this feels so relatable in so far as encountering a really weird situation and strange and scary. These feel like real human reactions. <laughs> yeah, they do. I like how the the young man is just like super upfront with it. As opposed to Luke, where he right. says, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? I'm like, You know that, that he was rehearsing that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he was just sitting there. It's like, Oh, that's good. That's good. I got to write that yeah, down. <laughs> exactly. He was just like, Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Like, like even that feels somehow just like so raw to me. And I think it's also worth pointing out the relationships and the connections that these women had to Jesus. Mm. Yeah. You know, we hear we we hear more about Mary Magdalene throughout the Gospels as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus, someone who sat and learned from him. And we hear of another Mary, Mary, James's mother, and Salome, who's the mother of James and John, presumably the wife of Zebedee. As we hear them introduced, there's a little family thing going on there. So this would make Salome Jesus's aunt. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there's so much connection, not just from a family standpoint, but from a discipleship standpoint, these are not just folks who have been tasked with doing the dirty work. These are three women who in the midst of what was likely still very tense and maybe even dangerous situation for them, mm-hmm. after the rest of their Sabbath, came as early as they could to honor Jesus in the best way they knew how. Someone who was shoved aside by the religious authorities, by the empire, someone who was executed. And there they go, running to his side. To make sure he's treated the way they believe he deserves to be treated in his death. Hmm. When so many others in his death cast him aside. Honestly, the the story that comes to mind in a more contemporary setting is the story of Mamie Till. After Emmett Till, his body was found maimed and disposed of and horribly disfigured in the Jim Crow South. She insisted on having an open casket funeral so that her son could be celebrated, but also so the reality of his death, how unjust, how violent, how brutal it was, could be communicated clearly. And there's something about that love that makes the message of Jesus' resurrection, at least as it's counted in the other Gospels, coming from these women or other women that are encountering Jesus' resurrection first. That level of devotion and connection on a familial and on a discipleship level just really profound to me. Hmm. What a, like a great connection. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about like what the women are looking for and what Emma hmm. Till's mom is looking for from with her yeah. open casket. So before we move on to a conversation about what the point of this text is, is there anything else that stood out to you? Or any other questions that come to mind? I think I think we're ready to move on. I have the advantage of having heard this a lot of times. <laughs> it is Easter. Yeah. And trying to be creative on Easter can be 
challenging. I know it is for a lot of clergy folks and for folks that attend regularly on Easter and encounter worship services might feel strange or repetitive. But this passage in particular, to shift the conversation to what the point of this text is, this passage resonates so deeply with me right now in our present moment, Mm -hmm. shifting the lens to a contemporary setting. We are celebrating on this Easter Sunday, Jesus's resurrection and what that means for overcoming the forces of death and darkness and wickedness and injustice in the world. And yet our world is still so filled with death and darkness and wickedness and injustice Hmm. in these moments where Mary, Mary and Salome, which honestly sounds like an incredible band (laughs) name. And I think we should start, we should start a band name called that. But in these moments where these three women encounter Jesus's resurrection, they don't necessarily encounter the resurrected Jesus in what we read, but they encounter Jesus's resurrection. And so that same reality has taken hold of the world. Jesus's resurrection has happened. And yet they are still startled. They are still alarmed. They're still overcome with terror and dread. And they're still afraid. And for me, this passage so beautifully represents the language that I know I I hear and use a lot around God's reign and realm in the world. The fact that it is already present, but not yet present in its fullness. The beginning of Mark, Jesus talks about his ministry by saying, the kingdom of God has come near. What you thought was once far away is actually quite close to you. It's accessible, Mm -hmm. it's approachable, it's available here and now. The realities that Jesus was instituting by showing this new way to live, by exposing the forces of death and darkness and wickedness and injustice in his day, but still not exposing them, removing them, extracting them entirely. Yeah. And that feels so appropriate for our present moment. Celebrating resurrection after a year plus where we've lost millions around the world, over a half million people here in the United States due to a global pandemic at a time when racial and wealth inequality is still rampaging throughout our communities. It is both hopeful and hope-filled to celebrate resurrection as more and more vaccines are getting in arms and more and more things are opening up and people are able to connect again And yet there is still so much that feels so out of place. Hmm. And I don't know, I'm very grateful for the witness of these saints who responded to the Easter message with fear. (laughs) Because that, that really resonates with me right now. Particularly, the temptation can be to not say anything to anyone about it. Like to to try and block out all of the darkness that we see, hmm. right? or to focus only on on us, right? Not the ways that it, that it affects others. And I think that that's a response to fear. No, what is the what does the Easter message then mean for us right now? Message of new life of hope 
after so much time feeling a lot of hopelessness. Yeah, this feels somehow like a double Easter to me. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> like it's both all of the joy and hope of a regular Easter, like mm. piled on with all of the hope and the joy that comes with like slowly clawing our, our way out of this pandemic too. Like you were talking about, I, I resonate with these women who are also afraid the pandemic has exposed things that were already present in our society, but that maybe we just didn't see as readily. Hmm. And here we're, we're told to like testify about it, right? We're called to testify both about the, the joy and the power of Jesus' resurrection and also what we see happening in the world right that counters god's reign and realm it's easier to be afraid <laughs> yeah it almost feels like the apparent simplicity of the gospel stories of jesus's resurrection make it feel like oh either you have a mark 16 experience of total fear hmm. or you have experiences of total hope and readiness for what's next and I think the reality totally encompasses both of those responses mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. hope and fear do not have to be mutually exclusive, but rather hope, hope is what draws us through our fear, through our struggles and challenges. Hope is what draws us into the arena to work and labor for justice. Mm. It's not sought out away from or separated from those things. Hmm. It is what mm -hmm. draws us more deeply into them, into our fears, into the injustices that we, we notice in our communities, into the depth of weariness and despair that we experience in the human family. Hope might be, look like the light at the end of the tunnel sometimes, but it's also the hope that we have that draws us into the reality of those experiences, just as God entered in to that reality with us in Jesus. Do you think that's why Mark ended his story here? Like, it, somehow I think it it draws you in, like you were talking about, like into this story of Jesus, like that you're such a part of it when you get to the end. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of choices that the author of Mark made that I question. So this might just be added to the list. <laughs> but I don't know. I think in the freedom of our exploration of this text, I think there could be all sorts of reasons. Maybe we just don't know what the original ending looked like. Maybe it's something completely different from what we have in our scriptures. Mm -hmm. But if this text ends here, I think it presents a reality of Jesus's experience on earth and the experience of his followers that may have connected with Mark's original audience too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd like to think that just like we, I know we've talked about several weeks ago, how these pieces of the gospels that seem so inexplicably linked or just randomly thrown in are very rarely random. And I'd like to think that this, 
message may have resonated with a particular community for whom Mark was writing, a community that was facing fear themselves. Yeah. And to see the message of Jesus's resurrection prompt fear in these matriarchs of the faith in Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James and Salome, that might've been comforting or encouraging for them too. I've wondered if it's also meant to empower the hearers or the readers to go and finish the work that still mm. needs to be done, right? Yeah, we have the privilege of knowing what happened after they yeah. didn't say anything. Yeah, exactly. And I imagine that that message would have rung true as others who were gathering in these communities and learning about who Jesus was and what he was up to. Well, they clearly say something because we have the story, right? Right. Like they tell people that this has happened. The disciples and especially Peter. Love how Peter gets a shout out too. I know. <laughs> well, this has felt like a little bit more somber of an Easter message. But I think the realities of this particular passage brought us to that place. How about I pray for us that we might live as Easter people that we embrace the tensions that we've experienced in this text today. How's that sound? I would love that. Great. Let's pray. Living one, when you lost your child, you wept broken like those among us who have lost those most beloved to us. Help us in our loss and our grief cling to both hope and fear, not as opposites, but as realities of our lived experience, friends to one another and friends to us. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of the risen one, Jesus Christ. Alleluia. Amen. Alleluia. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode. Seth, what story will we tell next week? Next week, we're talking about Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. It's about sharing among the believers. Nice. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that resurrection story, Jonathan. Thanks for helping me tell it.